The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, your host, Susan Poisner. Hi, everybody. Years ago, when I planted my first fruit trees, I had very little knowledge about the special needs that these trees have. But one thing I did realize at the time is that fruit trees, and in fact all trees, benefit from mulching. Now, over the years, I have learned so much about proper fruit tree care, about the importance of correct annual pruning, training, fertility management, and so much more. And I teach you about those things in my book, Growing Urban Orchards, and in my online fruit tree care course at orchardpeople.com. But mulch. The amazing thing about mulch is that we're learning more and more about it all the time. Now, mulch is way more than just wood chips. Scientists today are testing different types of mulches to see how fruit trees respond. For example, they're using wood chips or shredded paper, alfalfa, even fruit tree prunings, and some are even trying living mulches to see which ones work best. Now, fruit tree mulching can be cheap and it can have incredible benefits, whether you're growing one tree or thousands. So that's what we're going to chat about in the show today. And I have a fantastic guest who knows all about it. Professor David Granitstein is with the Washington State University Center for Sustaining Agriculture and Natural Resources. And he's worked on sustainable agriculture and organic farming for over 35 years. He's done a number of really interesting studies on orchard mulching and crop covers. And what he's learned is eye-opening for any person who is growing a fruit tree. So now as we go along, you are probably going to have questions or comments that you want to share. And I really encourage you to do so. During the live show, send your emails to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And 
If you do send in an email, you're eligible to win a copy of my award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, How to Care for Fruit Trees in the City and Beyond. So do write in. I really look forward to hearing from you, even if it's just to say hi, and then you could win your very own copy of my book. Okay, so let's dig into today's show. On the line, I have Professor D- David Granitstein. David, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're very welcome, Susan. It's so nice to have you here. And when we spoke last, you and I had a nice chat on the phone. You were telling me about a study that you did back in the 90s about fruit tree mulches. How did that come about? Can you tell me a little bit about it? I sure can. We we grow our fruit trees here in Washington. The, the bulk of our commercial production is in the central part of the state, which actually is very dry. It's almost a desert, you could say. And there, there's been a lot of interest in uh, do we need to modify the environment because it's not a natural place for, for any trees to grow. Actually, where a lot of our orchards are, there are no native trees. This is sagebrush country. So these trees have been put in a very different environment than what they're used to. And we were wondering if there were things we could do to amend the soil itself or affect the soil surface that might lead to some beneficial results. At the same time, there was interest uh, in looking at alternatives to herbicides, which are the typical treatment that's used in the tree row to to keep the, the grass and whatnot away from the trunks. And a group up in British Columbia with Agriculture Canada was doing some testing of alternatives, and mulching was part of their testing. And we kind of got connected and, and began cooperating from there. So tell me a little bit about the testing that you were doing. What were the different types of mulch that you were testing? We, we sort of started from scratch. I had done some work with compost, and I had used compost both as an amendment in the soil as well as just applied to the surface. But in many ways, compost is not always a particularly suitable mulch. It has too high of a nutrient load in many cases. So we started looking at other things that were, were lower nutrient content typically, things like wood chips, like straw, uh, like shredded paper, which was a waste product that could be found in the area. We did test uh, what do I want to say, spoiled alfalfa hay. That was another material that's around, and we thought, well, maybe it is a nutrient source and it could be dual purpose that way. And then we tested some living mulches like white clover. We tested a winter rye that was planted in the fall, and we tested a particular kind of mustard that was planted in the fall. Okay, so let's go through and tell me, how did they do? How did they compare? Well, overall, I would say the, the wood chips did very, very well. We, we got about three years of weed control out of that particular application. And it was, say, 46 inch deep, so a lot of material. And that's one of the challenges. Uh, but it did perform well in terms of suppressing weeds. We, we had definitely uh, moisture conservation, water conservation, where we had that mulch compared to bare ground. We improved tree growth. And uh, we didn't have any vole problems in that particular mulch, which was important. We knew the voles were an issue to watch, and indeed, they're a pretty important factor in how you can use mulches. The shredded paper did a nice job of controlling weeds. Uh, Nothing seemed to like to grow in it or or through it very much, but it did knit together to some extent and didn't blow with the wind. However, the sprayers that are used in the orchards did kind of pick it up and, and it didn't work particularly well from that standpoint. 
The alfalfa hay was, was not good. Any weed seeds that might have blown in on it, they sprouted and had a wonderful potting mix to grow on, and it was too much nitrogen. We did have some issues with fruit maturity and fruit quality from that, but again, that, that was because to get a thick layer, we just put on way, way too much nitrogen, which we knew we were doing. The white clover was, was very intriguing. For the first year and a half, it was exceptionally good. We had almost no weeds at all. The, the moisture use was uh, not very different than bare ground, which surprised us. We had higher nitrogen in the trees from that, which it wasn't so much that it was a big problem, so we were getting our fertility from it, and we had the better, better tree growth and fruit yield from it, but we did get a bit of fruit quality problem in the fall because you couldn't turn the uh, nitrogen off when you might want to pre-harvest with it growing in the tree row. So let's backtrack a little bit. Now you talk about too much nitrogen, and I know that most of us who are growing fruit trees know that our fruit trees need nitrogen in order to grow. In fact, if you find your fruit tree doesn't have enough new growth, you realize, oh my goodness, I have to make sure this tree has nitrogen. But when you and I were chatting on the phone, we were talking about the control issue, that with certain mulches, you lose control over when um, that nitrogen is going to the tree. I like to compare it to um, giving a kid, a little kid, you know, chocolates and candy before bedtime. So it's time for them to go to sleep and you open up the big tin of, you know, chocolate candies and cookies, and then they're bouncing all over the place. So Let's talk a little bit more about nitrogen and how these mulches contribute nitrogen and, and why you even want to control that nutrient for your fruit trees. Fruit trees typically have a, a, a cycle of when nitrogen is needed and when it's actually a negative from the standpoint of, of uh, the, the fruit that we're trying to harvest. So an even supply year-round, if it's an extremely low level, you might be able to get away with, but you also might have some deficiencies during certain times of the year. If you put on a very thick layer of a mulch or something like the compost that I had mentioned, and it will start releasing nitrogen as things warm up, and it will continue releasing it as long as there's adequate temperature and moisture. And in our environment, that would be actually you can have nitrogen coming out of a mulch or compost in December under the snow. So it can go clear on through into winter once it gets going. So typically we see high nitrogen demand in the spring. There's a, there's a big demand period in the spring and early summer. Then the demand falls off as the fruit uh, is, is sizing and maturing. You don't want high nitrogen levels in the soil. And then once harvest is done, you want to rebuild the reserves for the next year and you have another need in the fall, but not too late because once the roots start to go dormant, the trees won't take it up. So finding that timing, and it, it varies with species, it varies with the variety and whatnot, it is important. If you put on so much organic material as a mulch uh, that you lose control, that it's generating just large, large amounts all season, you're gonna have that problem. If you grow a legume in the tree low, tree roll like we tried with the clover, similarly, it's going to be releasing nitrogen, uh, especially if you cut it at all, you'll get a pulse of nitrogen. So that that's why putting a, a legume in the tree row was pretty obvious that was going to be a problem. If you put it in the alley, however, which we've done some testing on, then you can grow, for example, a clover or an alfalfa in the alley, 
you can mow it and blow it onto the tree row during those times of the season when you want nitrogen, and when you don't, you mow it and leave it in place, and it gives you a bit, uh, quite a bit more control. We'll talk about that a little later on in the show, but so let's backtrack a bit. And I've got a really interesting question here from Cheryl. Cheryl is uh, writing from Washington, D.C., and she was reading my mind, I think, because I wanted to ask you this. She says, what is a living mulch? Would a cover crop constitute a living mulch? She says, I'm growing some apple trees in containers with clover cover crop. Okay, so you mentioned living mulches, you talked about clover. So tell us, define that for us. And and how is Cheryl going to do with uh, clover in her pots with her fruit trees? Well, Alex, I'm having a hard time imagining what it looks like in the pot. But a living mulch is, is essentially a cover crop. It's it's something rather than uh, in our in our normal management, we give the trees a kind of a competition-free space in that tree row. This is the kind of the standard management system in, in orchards to get today. It used to be that there was no vegetation in an orchard, but of course there's all sorts of problems that happen with that. So now we have sort of a zone system where we've got our alleys between the rows of the trees where the trunks are that are vegetated with permanent vegetation. It's a cover crop. It's typically grass. And that's to hold the soil in place, to give a good surface if you're driving equipment on it, to keep the dust down, to stop erosion, all those things. And then in the tree row, typically, we want a competition-free area, particularly for young trees, and say five, six years old. It's, it's really critical to, to give those trees a chance. But in the longer term, you also have issues around moisture. In some places, they, they don't want any other vegetation using moisture because they're limited in their water. So you'll see that system to keep a lot of the area vegetation free. But in many places where that's not such an issue, the bigger issue is the voles because vegetation near and next to the trunks creates habitat and possibly food for voles and then they're attracted to it and and may damage the trunks, particularly in the wintertime. So a mulch is anything we're putting over the soil Typically, we we have what you could call inert mulches like wood chips or the black wheat fabrics. A living mulch is simply filling that niche with a cover crop to perform some function that we want it to do. So I want to clarify here um, for Cheryl and for lots of people. I think I've been seeing a lot of examples where people are planting their living mulches and everybody says clover is wonderful and we all love clover, but they plant it right up to the tree, up and around and into the roots. And, you know, David, when you're talking about competition, you know, your young fruit tree really, you know, for a person who's growing in their backyard, it needs nutrition. It doesn't compete very well with other plants. You know, if you, I've seen people plant strawberries right around and up to their their fruit trees. Not only does that uh, pose a challenge when you're actually going to prune that tree because you have to step on your strawberries, but there's competition that's happening. So I guess, you know, one of the things that you were saying is it's thinking very carefully, these living mulches or these cover crops, um, you know, how close are you planting them to the tree? Would you, would you agree to that, that you really, you've got to keep a little bit of distance? David? That's certainly what we found and many others have found is that when you've got the young trees, they do need this competition-free space. And, and there's been a number of studies trying to determine just how much space is that 
It partly depends on the vigor of the tree, if it's a dwarfing or semi-dwarfing versus a full-size tree. But nonetheless, it's probably going to be something like a uh, foot and a half to two feet, uh, you know, maybe three, uh, 1.5 meter wide strip overall is going to be vegetation free as you're getting that tree established for the first four, five, six years. Depends on the strength of the soil as well as how much nutrient supplying power is there. But that's where we, we've tried experiments with a quote living mulch in a mature orchard versus in a newly planted orchard and the results were dramatically different. So uh -huh. absolutely uh, using a living mulch on a new planting I would I would not recommend that. I think the competition factor is is very significant. That's so interesting. And yet, when you're working with trees that have been in the ground for ten years or twenty years, if the living mulch, like that clover planted in the ground, starts creeping up towards the the root system of the tree, it's not as much of a problem, I guess, because that tree has way more roots, doing a lot more work, consuming more water. Is that the thing? Correct. It's already got an established root system. The, the, the nature of the particular living mulch will matter. The nature of the tree will matter. How much root does it have? But uh, like I say, I, uh, at this point, after all we've done, I, I think that's still an ideal, but we haven't figured out which plant is the one to put in there. And what we found with clover, while it had so many positive attributes, the voles were the problem. They came in uh, one winter and literally ate all the clover we had planted and it was planted right up to the trunks that that entire strip <laughs> like i say maybe a meter and a half wide was planted to clover it was completely obliterated over winter we were lucky in that they didn't eat the trees but it turns out white clover is is one of the most preferred food sources for voles and therefore it's just too high of a risk for for our commercial folks for sure for a home gardener home, home grower it might be less of a problem but it's, uh, it made me back away from it. So finding that plant that, that really hits all those things, we want it to suppress weeds, we don't want it to use a lot of water and nutrients, and we don't want it to attract voles. In fact, it would be nice to find a plant that would repel voles. And so there's been some work and some interest in that, but we're definitely not there yet. Well, we've got another really good question from John. John is in Ontario. Okay, so John writes, how much nitrogen is consumed in the decomposition of wood mulch? Is this an issue or do the benefits outweigh the negatives? I love that question because, you know, here in Ontario and I think everywhere, you see trees, whether they're fruit trees or other trees, you've got, you know, beautiful, I don't know, cedar or some hardwood mulch chips around the tree. It looks pretty. It protects um, from weeds. But I remember hearing that, wait a minute, again, if you have a young tree, as these chips decompose, they start taking nitrogen out of the soil rather than putting it in. And that would be um, me making nitrogen less accessible to the trees. So how would you respond to John's question? Are you losing nitrogen by mulching with wood mulch? Well, in our experience, the answer is, is no, because when you put the mulch on the surface, you're not incorporating it with the soil. And so it's very different than if you dumped on four inches of wood chips and rototilled in. That would be a, a train wreck from a nitrogen standpoint. But when it's sitting on the surface, the interaction with the wood chip in the soil is in a fairly narrow zone. And so the bulk of the soil is not being affected by the by the wood chips in terms of nitrogen. It's above the soil. There's decomposition going on there. You'll get some of the nitrogen that's released in those chips, which can take a while. It will work its way down with water as rain or irrigation. 
but we've also seen tree roots very consistently grow from the soil up into the mulch, and we assume they're searching out nutrients or other factors that we're not totally clear what they are. But we have seen where we've used the wood chips and we've monitored the tree nitrogen by taking leaf samples in July. Oftentimes, the the, uh, the wood chip trees will, will decline very slightly from other trees without the wood chips in terms of nitrogen, but they'll grow more, they'll have higher yields. Now, over the long term, I think that's something you'd want to watch, and you might be, uh, simply correct it by adding a little bit more nitrogen fertilizer to the system and, and, and compensate for it. But over time, a lot of those wood chips will uh, be decomposing. The carbon will go off to the atmosphere of CO2, and the nitrogen that's in there will become slowly available. Hmm. And also, you talked about your trial with wood chips. That was a three-year trial. So even if in year one the wood chips were at their stage where they were starting to take nitrogen out of the soil and away from the trees, maybe in year two, um, they they go into the next phase where they start to release that nitrogen back into the soil. So like maybe the first year you pay your price, but then after that, you just reap the benefits. Well, we, we just even haven't seen big depressions in year one, because as I say, if, if the mulch is on the surface, the wood chips are on the surface, there's not that much interaction with the soil. Interesting. That's that's the secret. Cool. That's great. The other thing is you talk about, in my book and in my online course, I talk about the far too many mistakes that I have made in growing fruit trees and the lessons that I've learned. And one year in our orchard park, we uh, did mulch our trees. I can't remember if it was with wood chips or something else, but we put way too much, way too much mulch. And um, I think we paid the price. Like, um, I don't know if, can, can the tree roots still get oxygen if you put a lot of wood chips on top? On top? It probably depends on your soil type. I have seen situations with a, a fairly high clay soil, which we do not have here in Washington. So this is not an issue for us, but definitely it is in other areas. And I've visited sites where they put on a fairly thick layer of, of wood chips, you know, four inches or so. Over the winter, uh, the soils had become saturated, and they definitely became anaerobic or sour, and uh, it was not a good situation. So yes, that that can be an issue if you don't have good drainage. So isn't that interesting? And we got an email from Anthony. I think Anthony's in Baltimore, and he said here, uh, David mentioned that applying mulch four to six inches is a good idea. Is this the ideal depth or can two to four inches work as well? So again, the answer is it depends on your soil. And it's about really learning, you know, learning what your the needs of your trees are. We have it, a, it depends on your goal as well. And so my, my my evolution on the mulch is how little mulch can we put on to get some of the these major mulch benefits because we started out wanting to suppress weeds and you need a very thick amount of mulch to have any chance of doing that. In many cases, even four to six inches did not give us great weed control for very long. But we often saw these benefits in terms of tree growth, fruit yield, fruit size. So I started to think, well, geez, maybe weed control shouldn't be the primary focus, and we need to complement other forms of weed control with the mulch. But if we could get 80% of the mulch benefit from an inch of mulch, particularly when we're trying to do this on large-scale orchards, 
that might make a lot more sense. And I think that's the direction I'm heading myself, is thinner mulch layers, but knowing that you're going to have to have other sorts of weed control. Interesting. Again, if it's a backyard, a few trees in your backyard, that's a non-issue. So then in that case, for sure, I would say you don't need four inches whatsoever, an inch that's renewed on a regular basis so you keep about an inch on the surface probably would be perfect. Oh, wow. That's great. So we've got an email from Stan, and Stan says, Who knew? So much info. Listening from NYC. So that's from Stan. And we've got Hannah wrote, Hi, Susan. Thank you for a very enlightening show. I've learned a lot. Wow. And it's only the beginning of the show. Um, David, we need to um, uh, we need to take a moment, and I want to hear some words of from my amazing sponsors who make this program possible. Um, so can you hold the line for a few minutes while sure we listen can. to some commercials? Great. So if you're listening to the show while you listen to the commercials, look up these amazing companies online, and you'll see that I choose my sponsors very carefully and only support products that I would use myself. If you know anybody out there, or companies that might want to advertise on the Urban Forestry Radio Show, reach out to me, and um, that is a possibility. So after the commercials, we're going to talk about more about mulching, and we're going to talk about when mulch can actually result in the death or decline of your trees. we got lots more to talk about too, so stay tuned. So for those of you that I haven't heard from yet, if you're listening to this show live, send us an email to instudio101 at gmail.com and you can win a copy of my book, Growing Urban Orchards, instudio101 at gmail.com. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101, where we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. I'm Susan Poisner from orchardpeople.com. And we'll be back after this short break. Looking for a quick, easy to apply and all natural fertilizer to use in your vegetable and flower gardens or for your fruit trees? Why not work with Mother Nature? Layer Hand Manure is a terrific fertilizer, and this is what Actisol does by transforming the manure from their egg farms into an efficient fertilizer. The manure is dried using a technology that harnesses the heat given off by the hands. No other heat source is needed. Actisol is easy to use, safe for the environment, children, and pets. You can purchase Actisol products at your local garden center or order in bulk. For more information, visit www.acti-saw.ca. Actisol, the mother hen fertilizer. If you want your fruit trees to live a long and healthy and productive life, it's essential that you water them properly when they're young. You need to water slowly and deeply so the moisture seeps into your young tree's expanding root system. That sounds easy enough, but you'd be surprised at how often the water you provide for your trees just rolls away, leaving its young roots high and dry. That's why we at TreePans.com have worked with orchards to develop a product that ensures all the water gets to your tree's root system. Our expandable tree pans funnel rain or irrigation water to the drip line of your young trees. 
Additionally, tree pans eliminate weed growth under the tree canopy, as well as protect your trees from mowers, tractors, and weed whips. Tree pans are used in orchards, city parks, and in residential yards. And once your young tree is established, you can move your tree pans to another young tree. Learn more about tree pans at treepans.com. If you're an arborist, master gardener, or landscaper who's keen to learn fruit tree care skills, check out orchardpeople.com's Certificate in Beginner Fruit Tree Care. Not only does our intensive online training give you the skills you need, but we'll also give you a certificate that you can use to claim continuing education credits from the International Society of Arboriculture and from other professional bodies. Learn more about continuing education at orchardpeople.com by visiting orchardpeople.com slash workshops. The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. Send Susan an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and creator of the fruit tree care training website at orchardpeople.com. In this show, we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture, all the good things in life. So today we've been talking about mulch and fruit trees and how they help our trees' health and productivity. There are also problems sometimes with mulch, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. My guest on the line is Professor David Granitstein from the Washington State University Center for Sustaining Agriculture and Natural Resources, and he's studied the effects of mulching for over 20 years. He's seen the difference firsthand that different types of mulches can make. So, David, we were talking before the break about uh, wood chip mulches. Um, we actually were discussing nitrogen and whether wood chip mulches suck up nitrogen rather than returning it to the soil. Um, we had a question from John and um, he about that. So John writes us back saying, thanks for the reply. Good answer. This is something I've heard but never really heard a response to. So glad to hear that mulching with wood chips is not really a nitrogen consumer. So John is from London, Ontario. So uh, another mulch I want to talk with you about is actually taking the prunings from your fruit tree. So you're pruning your healthy fruit tree and mulching it up and putting it around the tree. Tell me about that. Do people do that? Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's something that's become uh, of interest here lately. Historically, what people have done is they take their, they prune their trees, 
And in the old days, they would rake the prunings out and they haul it out of the orchard and burn it. Uh, in, in probably the past 20 or 30 years, that because that was a lot of work, people had a tool called a flail mower that they would break the prunings out into the alley where they could drive a tractor and they would run this flail mower, which would just basically shred them in place and leave them right there in the alley. So that was a lot easier, uh, job done, no problem. But we got to thinking several years ago that really that carbon is in the wrong place. That's wonderful carbon from those prunings that we would like to put right back over the roots. And so now people have tried to take that and mechanically move it back onto the tree row. And there's a couple different ways I've seen it done. One is using a brush rake, and a brush rake is a tool that the, the orchardist used to, to get the prunings out to flail them in the first place. They can reverse the belt on that, and it sweeps the material, the chips essentially, from the tree row, from the alley back onto the tree row. So it's a very simple way to, to put that material back over the roots. The second way is there, there is a flail mowing machine made in Italy that we've, uh, there's a couple of people here that have bought them now. They will take material in your alley and it could be your prunings, it could be a very tall cover crop that you're growing, and they'll chop it up and rather than just dropping it in the row uh, where you're driving, they'll blow it onto the side and right onto the tree row. So there's a couple different possibilities there. But what is it? And and even, by the way, you know, what we do is we take our, in our little orchard park, so we take our young clippings from our tree that we're removing as we do our annual pruning, and we just cut it into little one-inch pieces and throw it around wherever, whatever we've mulched the tree with. But I don't know if that would break down. Maybe you can comment on that. But what is it about the young new growth that is good for your tree? Well, it's it's a, a mulch material that's right in the orchard. So if you're not thinking about whether it's the, the, the new prunings or the older material, it's just the fact that that's, it's, it's woody material that's already in your orchard. You don't have to haul it in. So if you've got 10 acres of orchard or 100 acres of orchard and you want to mulch, you're talking truckloads and truckloads of material. So the more of it we can source from within the orchard, the better. That's sort of the first thing to think about. It's a locally recycled material in a sense. But the second thing is that particular material, if it's the smaller wood, its nutrient composition is very, very similar to what you're going to grow again this year and next year. That's what that's what it is. It's the same nutrient content as, as what your tree is going to need in a sense. It contains that same balance of nutrients versus the stem wood. The big wood is going to be quite a bit different uh, chemically than that young wood. And there's been some work done on this up in Canada where they looked at what they call the ramial wood chips, and that's the term that is used for these below a certain diameter. Uh, they decompose differently. They support different fungi in the soil. And as I say, their nutrient composition is a bit different than, than the larger, older uh, stem wood. So when people talk about ramial wood chips, and you can read about it in Michael Phillips' uh, book, he's got a book, I think, called The Holistic Orchard. Um, he's got lots of interesting books. He talks about ramial chips, wood chips. And so basically, that's what you're talking about, that young, young, uh, those young clippings from your trees that you're removing anyway with correct pruning, and it's it has to be decomposed, I guess, in order to be considered ramial wood chips. 
No, no, no. It's just it's it's really a size uh, description which relates to age. So it, it typically is below so many centimeters in diameter, and that typically is going to be one to two year old growth. Uh huh. Okay, that's so no, great. When they're putting it on, it's simply chipping that material and putting it around the trees. And, and so decompose from there. And so for the backyard orchardist or people like a community orchardist like myself, if we take our young prunings and we cut them into little one-inch pieces, do you think somehow eventually those will decompose or is it just too big to be they useful? They will eventually. And if you had a chipper, uh, that would even be better. Just a little garden chipper would do the job. But it's interesting. I, I put on probably four to six inches of mulch and then renewed it in, a, in an experiment that I had. So I put it on the first year, put some more on in the, in the third year. Six years after I had done that experiment, I came back and I could not find one single piece of mulch on the soil surface. Mm. Every bit of it had gone into the soil or decomposed which was pretty remarkable. So the soil organisms will make that stuff disappear as they decompose it and, and work with it over time. And another orchardist I know, he's having, he's having a heck of a time keeping a mulch in the orchard because his soil literally digests it so quickly. That's incredible. That is incredible to think of those little tiny creatures and how they can, you know, pull apart uh, all this, this organic material. That's quite amazing. Yep. And process yep. it. And, you know, when you shred it finer, it's easier for them. So in, in some ways, if you want the mulch to be more durable and last longer, then bigger, chunky chips is a better option. But if you want the quick turnover, then the, the more finely shredded material is, is uh, will do that. Amazing. Now, we got a great question from Nan. Uh, Nan is in Orlando, Florida. So she says, um, should we always mulch trees? New plantings, established trees. That's a really good question. How would you respond? Well, I would, I would probably, I'd want to know a bit about the uh, the soil in that site. As I say, if it's a very high clay soil, I would be more careful. If I was in an, an environment where the soil conditions were more sandy and it was a hot environment in the summer and, and maybe not so rainy and drought conditions are a problem, mulch, mulching the young trees is fantastic. It's just evens out the moisture so you don't get periods of moisture stress, which can be really, really hard on young trees. We're also finding there are temperature effects that soil can get too hot for root systems and tree fruit, tree roots, uh, some, some of them, particularly the dwarfing roots of apple, there's some evidence that they don't like as high a temperature as, say, a big old standard tree does. So I think there's a combination of both some moisture buffering and temperature buffering that goes on when we put a mulch on. And so in an environment like, like Florida, where hot temperatures are, are very likely, uh, it could give you a benefit uh, that way as well. Very interesting. I would be careful, though, if there are disease issues that, uh, and like I say, for us here in, in, the, in uh, central Washington in a very dry climate, we don't have to worry so much about disease, but in more humid, hot climates, that would be my first question. What are the disease risks that I need to be thinking about? Because that could come back to bite you. Hmm. And well, one of the things that things that I was thinking about is if you're pruning a, a fruit tree and the fruit tree is diseased, you don't want to clip up your young growth and put it on the soil because that would be spreading the disease. So that's something to consider as well. Correct. It depends on the disease, but absolutely. That's right. Now we've got an email from Kyle. Kyle is in Winnipeg. Is just regular sawdust a good mulch? I have tons available for free. Thank you. 
Yeah, sawdust to me is, is very, very different than the wood chips because it's got that small particle size. It's probably going to react and tie up nitrogen a lot faster than you would get from the, the wood chips. It's also going to be, uh, oh, I don't know, chemically a bit more homogeneous, whereas if you've got ground-up whole trees, you've got some of the young wood, you've got some of the bark, it's a bit more diverse material, whereas the sawdust is pretty much strictly that very mature stem wood. There's nothing else in it. So I would typically avoid sawdust for fruit trees. Of course, the berry people use them, and they're trying to do some other things. But but uh, for me, that would be a a lower choice. I might look at bark, which is often a waste product from sawmills. Uh, uh, some folks in New York did a lot of research on bark mulch. There's where hardwoods, softwood bark might need to have some aging going on first, but that might be a better choice than the sawdust. Hmm. Okay, I've got an email as well uh, that I, I got here from Dom. Now, where's Dom from? I'm not sure. He says, we, oh, Don, we use compost and ramiel chips. We've been using Comfrey and Baptista, Baptista, um, I think that's what it is, under the trees. Bush cherries in between trees. And last year, around a few pear, cherry, and apple trees, we put lemon balm, echinacea, chives, and some herbs. So how do you feel about people, I guess they consider that living mulch, using herbs, using comfrey between trees, um, in addition to their compost, rainmill chips, wood chips, whatever. Yeah, I think it, particularly once your trees are established, experimenting with those sorts of things are, are definitely worth doing, seeing what, what seems to give you a benefit. Sometimes you might be getting plants that are uh, positive from a pest control standpoint. Some of those may deter voles. I don't know. We've had some experience with sweet woodruff in time as being less uh, attractive to voles or even perhaps being a little bit repellent. So, yeah, I think that those have a fit, particularly at a smaller scale. Um, but just watch the competition and, and, and the habitat for the voles. Those are the, the two biggies, I think. I want to talk about voles. Oh, first we've got another email from Frank. Frank says, hi, Susan, love your guest. This is a big compliment, David. <laughs> um, love your guest. Great advice. I learned a lot today. So that's great. Thank you, Frank. Um, yeah, I want to talk about voles. Let's do that. We've got a commercial break just for a minute or two. So you, you are okay holding on again, David, and we'll yes, continue chatting? Okay, super. So if I haven't heard from you yet and you're a listener and you're listening live, send us an email at nstudio101 at gmail.com. I really love hearing from you. Where are you, where are you are writing from? Tell me what city or province or state you're from. And you can win a copy of my book, Growing Urban Orchards, if you write us today. You're eligible to win. nstudio101 at gmail.com. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com, and we'll be back after this short break.
If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Hi, I'm Mark Cullen with some news about a wonderful lineup of garden supplies and garden tools that will absolutely knock your gardening socks off. They're called Mark's Choice, and they're exclusive to home hardware, 1,100 stores coast to coast to coast. Mark's Choice features great quality products that will not only last years, but in some cases will last a lifetime. Look for my various garden gloves, Stainless steel garden tools, stainless steel digging tools, my new garden backhoe, and many, many others. As a matter of fact, there's over 160 different products in the Mark's Choice lineup. I'd love you to try them all, but start by sampling one that appeals to you. Drop by your local home hardware, have a look at the Mark's Choice lineup of tools and garden supplies, including my line of garden soils, and decide for yourself. Great quality lasting quality, and a great gardening experience. That's what I strive for with Mark's Choice. Look for it at Home Hardware. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. Send Susan an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. I'm Susan Poisner, and this is the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. And in today's program, we've been chatting about mulching, one of the cheapest and easiest ways to give your fruit trees the support they need to thrive and to produce a healthy and delicious harvest. So today, oh my goodness, we've talked about so many different types of mulch options. And and we're going to talk a little bit about sometimes you can put the wrong mulcher in the, or the right mulch in the wrong place um, and you can damage your fruit trees. On the line, my guest today is Professor David Granitstein, who's with the Washington State University Center for Sustaining Agriculture and Natural Resources. So, David, um, I've gotten emails about uh, voles as well. Uh, People saying, oh, my gosh, I can't even put mulch because I have vole problems. Tell me about voles and, and their relationships with mulch. Voles like two things. They like a, a 
place to live, protection, habitat, so to speak, and, and food. That those are the two big things you're you're trying to figure out in an orchard environment. And if you put out any sort of uh, practice like a mulch or a living mulch that provides them cover or protection, they aren't going to get affected by the predators so much, particularly the raptors, the, the hawks and whatnot. They're a big one. They can't see them, so they're, they're free to go around and reproduce and produce, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 litters a year, and just their, their numbers go crazy if they don't have that pressure on them. So we have seen some really bad vole problems with mulching. But it depends on the kind of mulch. So not all mulches are created equal. But yes, mulches can be a major risk for voles. And what we've seen, and this has been very consistent, not just here in Washington, but with people using mulches in other regions, they do not seem to like these big, chunky wood chips. Of all the mulches, that seems to be the one where we don't uh, observe the vole activity or vole populations going up. And I actually did one experiment where we compared a wood chip mulch in the tree row, like standard thing, four or, some, four or so inches thick, with a, a totally bare ground, with a tilled tree row uh, disturbance, and no significant difference between the wood chips and these other bare ground treatments. Where we had living mulch in the tree row in that same experiment, tremendous increase of vole presence compared to the, the, the bare ground or the wood chips. But one of the living mulches we tried was this sweet woodruff or Gallium odoratum, and it was significantly less than the other living mulches, whether they were grass or legumes, but still more than the wood chips or the bare ground. And so in a more recent trial, the same thing was tried, also tried thyme in the tree row. And again, while it was better than others and, and we did get a reduction, it was still too much tree damage to tolerate. So of the inert mulches, things like straw or the, the weed fabrics, particularly the weed fabric is a terrible uh, situation for the voles because they love to get right under it and they're totally free to roam anywhere around, go right up to the trunks, chew on the bark. Complete protection, straw mulch is, is pretty much the same sort of a thing. So. At this point, the, the one inert mulch that we've had good luck with has been these big, chunky wood chips in terms of not creating more of a vole problem. I can't say never, that you'll never have a problem, but this has been observed enough that I feel like the risk is low, but uh, of course that's different than zero. Now the voles can actually kill the trees, can't they? they what do they do? They nibble on the bark and... Uh... Yes, they curdle the tree. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's a big danger if that's a problem in your community. Um, I also wanted to talk about an experience that I had in one orchard that I helped out with where I taught them how to mulch. And I, I taught them about mulch sort of circles where you've got a donut of mulch around your tree and you do not pile the mulch right up to the trunk of your tree. Um, they did a beautiful job mulching. They forgot that little part. So they packed their m beautiful mulch up to the trunk of the tree. And the next time I came back, the insects had gotten into the mulch and started eating their way into the tree. So can you um, address how you're going to lay your mulch, how far it's going to be from the bark, and, and what insects could be a problem? Well, here we don't have those borer problems that you might be referring to, so we're, we're fairly lucky. 
Um, you can get uh, sucker growth in some cases, depending on how your your trees are grafted and whatnot, by putting on too thick of a mulch. But I would say, in general, when people have a few trees that they're working with, yes, what you're describing is right. You want the mulch on there and to basically have it taper off to a very thin layer right as it touches the trunk. Okay, so that's good. So now we have an email here from Rosemary. Rosemary writes, I'm writing from Baltimore and have been part of the Baltimore Orchard Project. Could you go into more detail about clay-dominant soil and orchard tree soil? What are some suggestions to support a healthy environment for this depleted soil? So she's got clay soil that is depleted. Our trees are about three years old. So, yeah. Well, one thing that is done where you've got very high clay soils, peep in this, it may be too late if they're all planted, but they will create a berm. And perhaps they, they would incorporate into that berm some organic material, some compost or other material to help uh, counteract the negative effects of the clay, particularly physical effects. And you get a little drainage that way. The water can get out of that berm and down into the, the area between the rows and away from the roots. That That's used in a number of countries commercially uh, where they've got very heavy clay soils. So that's, that's a strategy that I've seen. You know, and the other otherwise adding organic matter to clay soils is your it's, it's one of the best things you can do. The best bet, yeah. Then, so in a sense, the organic materials they will take a soil. If your two ends of the the soil texture spectrum are clay on the one hand and sand on the other, there are very different issues when you're at those two ends of the spectrum. But adding organic material for both of them brings them closer to the more ideal silt loam kind of a texture in the center. So either way. You, you come out good, whether it's a real sandy soil or real clay soil, organic matter uh, is fantastic for you. And that's beautiful because it kind of brings us full circle. In the beginning, you had talked about um, using compost on your fruit trees. Sometimes it can give you a little bit too much nitrogen. I mean, what we do in our orchard park is we use our compost early in the season before flowering time. We put a beautiful layer of compost, not too much. Um, maybe one to two inches thick around our fruit trees and then cover it up with a different type of mulch like wood chips. Um, but then in the early spring, you know, they, it gets the energy when it needs it. But I haven't seen any extra growth by late summer. I would assume most of the nitrogen has uh, has gone from, from that um, nice organic matter. Would you uh, have any comment on that, David, or...? Well, it's hard to say without knowing what type of compost. I think people often believe they're getting more nitrogen from the compost than they are Mm. at the time of application. This is a really common problem that we see. And then they see a bit of nitrogen shortage, so they pour more compost on. But then over time, it starts to release and they can't turn it off, so they end up in trouble. So that the, the compost is, is trickier to work with. That's one of the challenges. That's why synthetic fertilizers were invented in a way, because you can control them much better. So you have to understand your material and really think about the timing and almost anticipate. If you want the nitrogen available at this date, you have to back up and say, well, what's the, what are the temperatures going to be when I put the compost on? About how long will it take to mineralize or release that nitrogen? And will that timing sequence be right for when when you want it available for the tree. So you have to do a bit more anticipation. Wonderful. Well, that's, yeah, that's good advice. And I think in my book, I talk about how you can look at your tree and you can see how much, um, you know, how much uh, nitrogen it has. Does it need extra nitrogen? There's so much, 
so much to learn. But believe it or not, it's time to find out the winner of today's contest. And we have so many emails that came in today. So let's see. I've got um, a plastic container here. And I've got some, Gary in the studio wrote up all these different names on little pieces of paper. So let's see who wins a copy of my book. Oh, good. Okay. The winner is Hannah. And Hannah, you sent us an email, so you win the book. And uh, Gary in the studio is going to write you an email and get your address so you get your free copy of my book, Growing Urban Orchards. So congratulations to you, Hannah. And... Thank you, David. I feel like we could probably talk for another hour, but the show is over. But it's been so wonderful having you on the program. Well, great questions from the listeners. I hope this is helpful. And I've got a fair amount of information on my website uh, that we can get to people if they're interested in any more. But, yeah, we're still learning. Uh, What you told me about the the fellow from England with the willow chip mulch, very, very interesting. There's a lot lot more potential to mulch uh, that we'll be discovering. Yes, and hopefully I'm going to cover that on an upcoming show. So everybody, uh, wait to hear. When you hear about a willow mulch program, you must tune in and... uh, learn lots more so so david thank you so much i we will speak again i so look forward to that and um um, i'll talk to you soon happy spring everybody (laughs) happy spring well that was professor david granitstein he's with washington state university and it was so fun having him on the show so the program is basically over that's it for today's episode of the urban forestry radio show Did you enjoy the show? I hope so. I have lots more information to share with you on my website, orchardpeople.com. I have blogs and videos and quizzes and archived episodes of this podcast with lots more information. Now, if you want to up your game when it comes to fruit tree care skills, you may be interested in taking my online course. It's suitable for both beginner and intermediate level growers, and you can find it at orchardpeople.com slash workshops. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time.
Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.